Emmy-winning director James Burroughs joins the Road to Cinema podcast to share his thoughts on the creative process of working with writers and actors on some of the most acclaimed multi-camera situation comedies in American television history. Cheers, Frasier, Friends, Will and Grace, The Big Bang Theory, Two Broke Girls, and his most recent, Superior Donuts, which is currently airing on CBS, featuring Judd Hirsch, who we also worked with on the acclaimed sitcom Taxi. It's a great conversation on the ins and outs of television directing and some great insights on the importance of casting. Visit jogroadproductions.com to read the Road to Cinema blog and to learn about our Road to Cinema YouTube series. You can subscribe to Jog Road Productions on YouTube to get the latest video interviews, which also include Don Cheadle, Ewan McGregor, actor Saul Rubinek, talking about his experience working with Clint Eastwood on Unforgiven, along with Greta Gerwig and Moon Zappa. Follow us on Twitter, at Jog Road, Instagram, Jog Road Productions, like our Facebook page, Jog Road Productions, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button on iTunes to get the latest episodes every week on your phone or digital device. And you can write us a nice review on the iTunes podcast page under the Road to Cinema podcast. And now we join Emmy-winning director James Burroughs as he shares his first experience as a television director on The Mary Tyler Moore Show. When did you first learn what it meant to be a television director for multi-cam situation comedies? Um, I was, it was like 1972 or 73, I was uh, directing in um, dinner theater and regional theater and, uh, uh, you know, out of town, uh, star vehicles like uh, Jaja Gabor in 40 Carats and Joan Fontaine in 40 Carats and The Odd Couple with Arnold Stang and Stubby K. I was doing a show in a week, two-hour show in a week, and I turned on the television and there was the Mary Tyler Moore show and they were doing 25 minutes in a week in front of a live audience. So, you know, they, this is theater. Yeah. So it occurred to me that I could probably do that. And uh, that's when I wrote a letter to Mary. I had a relationship with her. I knew her uh, because I had worked on a show. I was an assistant stage manager on a Broadway musical that she was in with Richard Chamberlain. So that's, that's the moment. Yeah. And directing that first episode, I was reading that you sort of soon learned what it actually meant to, you know, be directing a show like that because you thought the script wasn't as great as it could have been. Yeah, it was not. It was not a very good script. Uh, I've been quoted a number of times going over to Grand Tinker and saying, "In a sea of Danish, I get a bagel." <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> it was a, a C minus script, and I did everything I could to make it better. Uh, on the on as a director, most of the most of the work is done by the writers. But as a director on the floor, I try to bring stuff to it and bring pieces of business to it and stuff like that. So it turned out to be maybe a C show, but it it started me. Uh, did that start the realization for you, sort of what a director does day to day on a set like that? Yeah, I had watched for about. They brought me out about four months before I ever directed. Uh, I knew I was going to get a show to direct. I didn't think it would be a Mary Tyler Moore. But, uh, because they had four or five uh, multi-cameras on the air. 
but uh, it was a Mary Tyler Moore. So I had watched to see what directors do, and it, it, it's a little bit different than theater. You have to learn the technical stuff of moving the cameras, because the cameras have to cover the action of the play. So I, I, I spent a lot of time watching and, uh, and learning and being mentored by Jay Sandridge. And uh, <clears throat> it, um, it didn't help me necessarily how to communicate with actors, because that's something you have to be born with, or being funny, you have to be born with that. You can't learn that. But it did help me in learning the technical stuff and a little bit about the protocol of dealing with writers and actors. So, it, it the, the 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 observe the the observation really helped. What did you find? What that protocol would eventually be in terms of working with writers, for example? Well, it's a writers' medium. Uh, it, it it has always been. The writers are the executive producers. They cast the show. They come to run-throughs. They nurture the show. So, uh, most of the, a lot of the directors I watched were traffic cops, and. Uh, uh, I didn't want to be that. Jay was never one like that. Jay always spoke what he thought, and uh, well, when I stepped in, it was really it was hard to to try to be Jay Sandridge right away. You, you needed some credentials to do that. But I did. In the time I had with the actors alone, I did what I could to make the piece better. And the benefit of having the person who brought me out also be the lead actress in the show, really helped me. Because she saw what I had done and what I was trying to do. So, um, you know, they they yeah. hired me after that. So Mary Tyler Moore had that right, confidence right. in you. So she really believed in the, the comments you were making, you know, your suggestions on the set. My suggestions with the actors, with the writers, I was still intimidated. Ah. It was, it was, you know, they were, you had Jim Brooks and Alan Burns and Ed Weinberger and uh, Stan Daniels and David Lloyd, all these you know preeminent writers, comedy writers, probably the greatest minds of uh, in comedy back then, except maybe for Norman. And uh, I wasn't gonna, you know, talk and tell them I was smarter than they were. I had to play by their rules. Did it ever get to a point as time went on and you were directing multiple shows that you felt that confidence in you that? Once uh, Taxi began it a little bit, and then once I did Cheers, where I was the boss, along with the Charles brothers, that confidence grew uh, immeasurably. And then once Cheers was over, and I did Frasier and Friends, and you know I had re I had a reputation then, and uh, yeah. I was much more verbose and much more critical and much more um, open about what I felt. You mentioned that working with actors is really something that, you know, usually naturally comes to a director. Uh, for you, why do you think it was part of your inner being that you could automatically communicate with actors? It's just how I grew up. My dad was, uh, my dad was a playwright director on Broadway. He wrote uh, Guys and Dolls and How to Succeed in Business and 40 Carats and uh, uh, can can and silk stockings. So, you know, I I was trundled around to rehearsals, and I see how my dad worked, and I also worked for my dad as a stage manager and watched how he worked. So I, I saw that he was he was not a martinet. He was very sweet and nice. He had a vision, 
but he got his way by being sweet and nice. And so I, I, I think of myself that way too. Mm-hmm. I, I, I try to be inclusive and listen to what the actors say. But if I have a strong vision, I won't, you know, I won't say do it that way right away. I'll let the process go through, the, the creative process happen, and then eventually I will say what I want. Uh, do you think, you know, especially with the casting process, that an actor is naturally the part, or that you sort of, as a director, have to build the actor up to be the part? You never want to do that. You, you want to cast an actor who's 98% there, because you want, to, you want to take a very good actor and make him great. You don't want to take a good actor and make him very good. So your casting is yeah. really important. You know, the, you, you, you try to, you know, in the casting process, get the chemistry happening and see how people relate. And, uh, you know, if, sometimes you can't do that. Sometimes you can't read them together and you just have to get lucky. But uh, you want to you cast an actor who's there or almost there. You don't want to get one that you have to get him to there. Mm. So... Uh, um, you know, the, I remember on Cheers, Teddy was, um, Teddy really was not an athlete at all, Ted, Ted Danson. He was, I think I took him to his first baseball game. <laughs> so I would, you know, I would work with Teddy just about manifestations, about how to behave, how, how a, an athlete would behave. And so, you know, he, he, he got that. In fact, we can't, we, um, in the fourth episode, we had Fred Dreyer on. Fred Dreyer was one of the finalists for Sam Malone. And uh, <clears throat> Fred strutted around like an athlete, yeah. like a peacock. And when he was on the show, I said to Teddy, watch him. That's who Sam Malone is. That's, you know, that's who you should be. You should grab your crotch occasionally, hike up your pants, mm. you know, pose, look at yeah. women. You know, all that stuff that creates this kind of... Uh, yeah, I think you saw Ted Danson really develop that over time. Oh, yeah. Episodes. Oh, yeah, he was, he was, you know, Teddy could throw away a joke, which was great, which was perfect for Sam Malone. You know, this kind of world-weary guy who could throw away the joke. Didn't, you didn't have to teach Teddy how to be funny. You're just the manifestations of, uh, yeah. of that character was what he had to learn. I was always curious in the creation of Cheers because, you know, the cast changes through, over time. Um, for various reasons, but what were sort of some of the initial staples that you had in your mind as far as what the concept would be when you were developing it with the Charles Brothers? We we sat down and uh, we discussed what we like in the world. And our favorite show was the Faulty Towers, all three of us. We loved that show. So we talked about doing a show in a hotel, and then we said, no, let's let's do it in a hotel bar. And then we said, no, let's do a show in a bar. And then we said, let's do a show in a bar in Barstow, which was on the way to Vegas. So you have the people going to Vegas and the people coming from Vegas started stopping there. And then we talked about that for a while. And then we talked about uh, a sports bar. And then we kind of were really comfortable with that because we're all three big sports fans. And then we felt we needed another dimension, so another dynamic. So we talked about this uh, Tracy Hepburn relationship. So um, 
we decided to combine the two. And uh, we talked about the plot, and we talked about the other characters, and uh, I went on my honeymoon, and the Charles brothers went off to write the script, and when I got the script after my honeymoon, it was, the characters were the same, but the, the plot was totally different. Because originally Sam was going to work for a woman, which eventually we did with, with Kirstie. Yeah. But that was the original plot, and the boys went off and created, I think, a seminal character in television, Diane Chambers. Mm. And uh, uh, I, I remember when I got home on my doorstep was a script, and I read it, and I called the boys, and I said, wow, you brought radio back to television, because <laughs> it was so smart. And it was about people coming in, sitting down and talking. And there wasn't a lot of action. Yeah. It was it was talking. So, uh, um, you know, that's essentially the creative process of the show. The, the, that Diane Chambers character was just, it was, without her, Cheers doesn't go past the first year. You know, that conflict between Shelley Long and Ted Danson. They, you know, we read them together and they were, they had this spark between them and you know it was it was amazing and now that's in the vernacular I've done a number of shows after Cheers and everybody talks about you know at some point if you're doing a show you want to do a Sam Diane relationship yeah so um, that's you know that's that's literally how the show was born uh, when it comes to the Fraser Crane character it was originally just kind of a guest spot here and there but when was it clear that Fraser would be part of the entire cast on a regular basis. First show. Wow. Because he was so brilliant. You know, it's again, you, 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 we were incredibly lucky on that show. We're incredibly lucky in casting to, yeah. find, to find these people who uh, just were perfect. You didn't have to do anything to them. They were great and so they became spectacular. Yeah. Uh, Kelsey was hired uh, how, you know, he was hired. Uh, we, he was in New York, and we saw a tape, and we, we saw his face, and we started laughing. And he read the scene, we brought him out, and he was, you know, in that first show when he appears at the bar, and you don't, you don't know he's been there. Yeah. And it just, he, you know, in that cast, you have to be able to carry yourself, otherwise you were annihilated. There were six or seven, when you can, maybe six regulars when Kelsey came on that show. And if you can't hold your own with those six people, then there's no reason to have you on the show. He was amazing. So we just, we just kept him on. And eventually, when Shelley left, uh, Fraser started doing uh, Diane jokes. He could do the upscale, smart, intellectual joke because yeah. we didn't have Diane anymore. So, uh, we, you know, we knew right away. Because he got he got these huge laughs, and nobody had ever seen him before. Mm. That was the you know that's my that's what I try to I try to do shows where you've never seen anybody before on the show, and so you're discovering all these people, all these new yeah. people. You think about that with Taxi too. Taxi, so many discoveries Cheers, there. Friends, Will and Grace. Um, you know, I've done I, I've done a number of them. There's radio. Um, oh, I can't think of the others. But uh, even this show, you know Judd a little bit, yeah. Superior Donuts, but everybody else you've never seen before. Mm. So I like that, that 
the audience is discovering these people along with with uh, uh, with me. When was it clear that you thought uh, Kelsey Grammer and the Frasier character could have his own show? It was not my idea. It was Angel Casey and Lee who came to us. So they wanted to spin them off. And they were writers on Cheers, I think. They were writers on Cheers 4, 5, and 6 years. Then they went off and did Wings. And then they came and they wanted to spin Kelsey off. We thought it was a good idea. You know, there was other talk about spinning Rio off or spinning George and John. But uh, Kelsey was the, that was the one they wanted to do. And the great thing about that show was that they took, Kelsey was a good enough actor to go from being a buffoon to being a leading man. And so they got David Hyde Pierce to be the buffoon, to really be more like Frasier in Cheers and 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 Kels to be more of a leading man in the show. Yeah, we talk about great casting again. David Hyde Pierce in that part. I mean, look wise, behavior wise, you believe one hundred percent that that's his brother. Right, and everybody, Mahoney. Yeah, Mahoney, who was young, too young for that part. <laughs> it was only like a ten-year age difference. Yeah, probably or maybe less. Yeah. I don't remember. And then Janie, and then uh, Perry. When, um, when you think about sort of working with the same actors over and over again, like with Judd Hirsch and with Kelsey Grammer, is there an ease in that relationship where ideas are sort of respected between you and the other actor? There's a shorthand, yes. And there's also uh, uh, the ability to, that we both have faith in one another. And so they're not as actors, actors are somewhat uh, uh, <laughs> somewhat paranoid, somewhat a little uh, egocentric, and want to make sure that people are writing for them. And, but I, if I've worked with them, that eases that problem because they know I'll protect them, yeah. and they don't have to get insecure or anything like that. So yeah, it does help. When you say paranoid, do you just mean in terms of? Uh, if they're protected yeah, in terms protected. of how the final yeah. product will be. And Insecure is a better word. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they, uh, so they, you know, they, it, it cuts out a lot of, of red tape if, if I'm working on a show with an actor I've worked with before. Uh, it just, it, there's, a, there's a, uh, a trust that they know I'm, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. When it come when it came to uh, Will and Grace, was it always clear, like on a show like that, you were going to direct almost every episode, pretty much? Uh, well, I didn't start. Point? You know, I didn't do every Cheers. I did like two hundred forty and a two seventy. You know, but I had to be around on, had to be more around on Cheers because that was, uh, I was one of the creators and executive producers and stuff like that. But I, I took some time off from that. But on Will and Grace, you know, the kids were grown, so I didn't have to spend as much time with the family, and uh, it just made me laugh so hard every week that it was, I would come in, I'd know I'd have to spend four hours shooting a show, but it would be a great four hours. The audience yeah. would go crazy. The jokes were unbelievable. The and chemistry between the, the chem all the actors. But uh, again, on all of them, Taxi, there was chemistry, on Cheers, on, on you know, on, on the Mary Tyler Moore, there was, 
you know, that's what makes a great show is the chemistry. But so I, I wouldn't do I wouldn't do every show if there was no chemistry. <laughs> it would be too hard. But I I that show just made me laugh. Mo, you know. Uh, you know, a lot of times I didn't get the references because the boys who wrote it were growing up in the 80s. I was working in the 80s, so <laughs> I didn't... I'll never forget in the pilot, uh, um, Grace comes in when, they, when they're playing poker, and I was, the, you know, I think it was Max who picked, told Sean to say, uh, oh, there, here comes Sporty Spice. And uh, my wife was there. I looked at my wife and I said... When he, she said, trust me. You know, I had no idea who Sporty Spice was. So Sean said, you look like Sporty Spice, got this huge laugh. You know, and there was a reference to a song called Come On Eileen. I had never heard of that song. <laughs> so, I mean, it was just, some of it was beyond my ken, but, but uh, it, just made, it's, it just made me laugh so hard. We could do stories that were so great that were, you know, not, you know, I called it a fairy tale, literally and figuratively. And uh, it was just, it was an amazing experience. Yeah, I mean, at that time, I mean, that was really probably one of the, or the first show to really delve into what the gay experience was like in a mainstream way. We, you know, we often said that Ellen opened the door and we, we knocked it down. Because Ellen, when she did, when on our Friends Like Us or whatever it was called, her show when she came out, I yeah. think that kind of opened the door and then we just busted it down. And never, we never proselytized on that show, ever. But and yet we were, in a strange kind of way. I used to drive um, on the Thursdays when I was doing Will and Grace. I used to drive carpool for my daughter, who uh, was she was thirteen years old, fourteen years old. And I would get, you know, I'd pick up the six kids to take them to school. And it was a Thursday, that was our day, and they'd always ask me what was on Will and Grace this week. So I figured that, you know, you were making people come to kids comfortable with yeah. gay people. So uh, I, I was proud of that, although it kind of we backed into it. We, we had no idea when we were doing it. But we knew it was a different show, but, you know, Joe Biden said it, that he felt Will and Grace did more for gay marriage than anything else, so I was proud of that. How did you get uh, so many amazing guest stars to come on week after week? They wanted to. <laughs> did they like, approach you guys? Oh, or? yeah. Wow. It was like when Friends, second or third year Friends, became so hot. Yeah. You know, they had Jay, uh, Julia Roberts on it, they had John, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh, Robin and Williams. And, Robin Williams, yeah. you know, they just, people, and that's what happened. We, we just you know people would call because it was a hot show it was a funny show I don't think it was a subject matter it was just you know you knew as a outsider you would be well protected by all these people yeah. we had oh my god we had a shitload of guest stars we had every gay icon in the world on. <laughs> uh, but we had you know Michael Douglas was on Matt Damon was on but no they came to us yeah. So like for Gene Wilder, Macaulay Culkin, or Matt Damon, uh, were you sort of tailoring those parts to them in a way? The yeah, writers? well, they, they would say they wanted to be on, and then the boys would write a story for that particular, uh, for that particular character. Yeah. And uh, it was fun. I have a lot of pictures. <laughs>
<laughs> uh, bringing the show back after I think almost 10 years, um, such a, a rare, unique thing to do. Uh, what was sort of your take on bringing Will and Grace into 2017 onto making it uh, sort of part of the culture now? Well, we're still up in the air exactly what we're going to do. Uh, we, you know, I've talked to the boys and uh, uh, we're still germinating stories and where we're going to pick it up and everything like that. And it's just, when we did that thing for, uh, for uh, the internet, Vote Honey, what yeah. it was called, uh, when we sat down to read that script, it was like we never left. It was unbelievable around that table. You got goosebumps because it, it, it literally like it was the next day. It was the next week. Mm -hmm. We had just finished the show and we were doing another Will and Grace. Right into character, you know, and just makes you laugh hard. Really makes you laugh. They're very four distinctive characters who can all make you laugh. And then uh, it just snowballed to NBC saying, maybe we should bring it back. And yeah. Negotiating and doing, we're gonna do 10 episodes. I think everybody's excited. I'm not sure what the ratings will be, but you know there are a lot of old viewers out there. If we got all the old viewers we used to have, it's going to be huge. <laughs> but because the landscape over ten years has changed now, yeah, you know hits are you know you get a, a two point a two o you're a big hit now. So mm. Will and Grace got six fives and sixes probably back in the day. So huh. if you have all the people who watch back then. You'd be doing okay. Yeah, I was curious um, what you thought about sort of the development of like the single camera comedy and how that's kind of taken over the landscape. Did Did you ever imagine that single camera shows would have that type of popularity? In the there, there were a couple of years. There were I, I, no, there were a few times when uh, uh, the multi camera comedy has died. When Cheers went on the air, there was no real multi camera comedies. No. Yeah. Mary Tyler Moore show was over, All in the Family was over, MASH was still on. There were all these one-camera shows, and then Cheers came on along with Family Ties, and then Cosby came on, and it became multi-camera again. Now, you know, now uh, the, the multi-camera's dying because Big Bang's been on for a while. It's not doing the numbers it used to do. So it's dying, so it'll, it may, it may, Seem like it's going to die, but somebody will come along with a huge multicam and revive it again. And it's just it's just cyclical. Yeah. And it's you know, also you have so many venues now. You have 500 venues. You also have the internet. It's a lot easier to make a single camera show than it is a multi-camera show in front of an audience. Yeah. It's just easier for a guy with a camera to do that. So it's it's okay. I've I've seen it before. And, it's been great for me, and uh, uh, you know I would hope to hope for other people in the business it, it comes back again. Yeah, well, I think there's a, a unique quality to a multi-cam show that you can't really replicate in a single cam because it is more of that theatrical experience. It's um, it feels like you can define characters in a way that you can't necessarily do on a single cam show. Yeah, you don't have and you don't have the ability of uh, camera jokes. You know where the camera moves and creates a joke that doesn't happen here. Yeah. Um, you also have to make the audience laugh. You just can't do a scene to make the writer laugh. 
and the writer moves on and says, that's really funny. You have to make the audience laugh. If you don't make the audience laugh, you change the joke. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's harder that way. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it may be fading a little bit, but it'll be back. Uh, in, in the process of filming a show, how often is it that you're stopping to sort of gauge the audience and if a joke isn't working, you're automatically replacing it? We do, uh, we do every scene twice now. Back in the old days when it was you using actual film, you have four film cameras rolling simultaneously. It gets real expensive for the raw stock of the film. Yeah. So we didn't do it as much back in the Cheers days. We would only go back and just get a snippet of the joke that didn't work. But we never went back and shot a scene twice. Uh, now you can do it twice. And you do it, and the jokes that don't work, they, they change. Hmm. We change them. And if I miss a shot, I gotta go back, go back and get that, but uh, we we don't go we don't move on until the joke works. Uh, can that be a tough process sometimes when sometimes, you're constantly trying to? Sometimes, but the, you know you get enough funny guys back there. <laughs> they're gonna say, they're gonna say funny things. Well, I was curious about you know your working relationship with Judd Hirsch because you know it goes all the way back to Taxi and now with Superior Donuts. Uh, what do you think it is about him that? makes him such a kind of a unique comic presence because he is also such a great dramatic actor as well. He has the ability to throw away a joke like Teddy. He's a guy who when he delivers a joke it's unexpected. Uh, he's very smart about what the character is doing. He plays it from the emotion rather than the actual joke and he's been doing that for years and, and he's also one of the great straight men in the world. Because to be a straight man on Taxi, you had characters from Mars on that show. And Judd was always the center, always the windows of that show that the audience saw the show through. If he talked to, if he talked to Louie, or if he talked to Chris Lloyd, uh, Reverend Jim, and he believed them, you believed them. Yeah, or to uh, Lotka. Or to Lotka, yeah. or to Andy. Uh, so that's, that's real important. You... Uh, you need, you, you know, Judd is, is great at that. He's great at, as a way that the audience gets into believing characters and understanding characters. He just has that natural ability. Yeah, I've seen it watching Superior Donuts recently that, you know, he really is kind of a really grounded element to it. You really, you know, empathize with him as a character. You know, you believe him 100%. Right, he's, he's 82 today. Wow. Today's Amazing. his birthday. Today's <laughs> his birthday, yeah. Uh, and I was just curious sort of what your your week is like in terms of your kind of working process because I know now you're probably doing about two, three shows simultaneously. No, I, so. I can't. I, I, I'm doing uh, Superior Donuts this week and then I'll do a pilot the next week and then another Superior Donuts and then a pilot. So it bounces back yeah. uh, week to week. So my week is we read today. You read it around a table and the network is there. And you get notes, and uh, then the writers go up and rewrite. Tomorrow morning I'll come in at 10 and block on the set, and the writers come down at 1, and I show them. Then I'll go back and rewrite. And then Friday I'll come in at 10, do the same process, show it, and then they'll rewrite. And then Monday the cameras come in, and I block the cameras around the actors and pre-shoot a little bit, just so the evening doesn't go too long on Tuesday. And Tuesday we come in at noon and uh, 
uh, shoot the show at six o'clock. Uh, takes about four hours. And then are you involved in the editing once it's... Sometimes, you know, I'll be, you know, if it, if it doesn't work on the stage, you can cut it six ways a Sunday and it won't work in, in, in the editing room. It's got to work on that stage. And are you ever going back to reshoot anything after that? If you sometimes, really feel? sometimes. So. If a scene doesn't work, we'll go back and reshoot it. Or if, uh, if they need a shot, sometimes I'll go back and reshoot it. Are there any shows when you look back in your career, specific, specific episodes where you're thinking, wow, I really hit it out of the park that time. Like, this is perfect. I, I can't do any better than that. Uh, episodes or just shows? Uh, well, episodes or maybe even shows in general. Well, you know, Cheers. Yeah. And Will and Grace and Friends and Frasier, although I didn't do that many, but the pilot's great. Uh, the Night Court pilot was wonderful. There was a show that didn't make it that far that I thought was great called The Class. That was a show written by uh, David Crane and Jeffrey Clarick, who were on Friends. Mm -hmm. Just a wonderful show with uh, a lot of the cast members being in other shows right now. And I thought, you know, that was a wonderful experience. Uh, Will and Grace. Pilot News Radio is really good. Uh, Third Rock I did. Yeah. Had a great time with Lithgow. Never, always wanted to work with him. <laughs> he has a new show now. I think. Trial and Error. Yeah. I don't know anything about him. Nicest man in the whole world. Just mm. so sweet. He has such a range. He can do anything. Him on Winston Churchill on The Crown. It's, uh, I know. He's, yeah. uh, it's one of those guys that, uh, I always like the guys who you don't think are funny and are funny. So Johnny, Johnny was like that. Um, uh, you know, there was a couple of episodes, great episodes of the end of the first year of Cheers, which, you know, has a 20-minute scene in it where Sam's in the bar and everybody's back in the pool room talking to Sam's brother. You've never seen, you never see him in the show. Yeah. He's just always surrounded by a crowd. He's so popular. And it's all of our regulars coming out to talk to Sam about, in essence, why he won't go back in the back room. And it's amazing. It went on for 15 minutes. Just crazy. Crazy good. So, I, you know, I have fond memories of that. Yeah. When, uh, when you look back at Friends, I mean, did you ever think at that point that that would be such like a cultural... Uh... I didn't think, I didn't know how big it would be. I knew, uh, uh, I, I read that script and... I did the pilot in 94, and I had committed already to four pilots. Yeah. And I read this pilot, and I said to my wife, oh, my God, I have to, well, she was my, my, my lady friend back there. I said, uh, oh, my God, this is a great show. I have to do it. So we worked it out. I think I worked a couple of weekends to do it. And before I do any pilot, I have an audience run-through. Uh, so I have a single camera come in and I have full audience and we run the show mm. and the camera is just so people if there's some sets around on the side I can hold the camera yeah. uh, and the audience can see all the sets and the reaction was just extraordinary so I knew then and there and that was when the show was cast and all those people were, uh -huh. were set in there yeah, all six of those people <laughs> the last pilot I did in 94 
and no six people were available. So people always ask me, you know, about casting. I say, it's just pure luck. It is. Yeah. Those six people, all available. <laughs> and now none of them are available. Yeah, they had never done really anything before that. Uh, Schwimmer I had worked with yeah. on a show called Monty. Uh, so I knew Schwimmer. Um, Lisa uh, I knew because she was on Cheers, one episode. Uh, I had never know. I didn't know Matt or Maddie or uh, uh, Courtney or Jennifer. Didn't know any of them. So that was just, you know, those six people were available. Yeah. So when I, you know, when I lecture or talk to people, I just say, you know, you got to get lucky. Hmm. It was just at that time, those were six right people for the roles and they were available. And, no, you know, that's, it's a lot easier when they're unknown. You know, when, they're, when they have a, a reputation or, you know, it's, it's, it's it, 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 they don't change their spots. But with the kids, they were just, um, they were just available. It's amazing. Yeah, and they grew into those parts over the years, mm -hmm. really established who they were. And the writing on that show was genius. David and Marta, just genius writing. They never got it, never was acknowledged till the ninth year when it won the Emmy. Should have been acknowledged way before. People didn't like that show because they were, thought they were just pretty people. Which, why it was successful? Because they were all good looking. Yeah. They didn't realize how good the writing was. Mm. And now it's crazy. My kids love it. Yeah. That my grandkids love it. You know, it's an amazing show. It's it's going to go on forever. Yeah. Now with Netflix having all the episodes on there. <laughs> I watch it. I still watch it. You know, I only did twelve shows. I, literally, and uh, you know, it's still. People think I created and everything like that. No, I just was there at the beginning and got these kids to. To trust one another, that's what yeah. I told them. Because I had my own company then, and I was doing shows like Caroline in the City and Conrad Bloom and these shows that didn't really work, but I had to, as a director, do my shows, mm -hmm. so I had to fit the the, the friends shows in so I only did like eight the first year but I did I think I did the first four or five and I got them to believe in themselves and realize that they were they had really good ideas and they were really talented and when a director comes in just to say what you feel yeah because you're real all really creative and and so uh, yeah I feel somewhat responsible for that success you know what needs to come to Netflix is uh, Will and Grace. Need to, uh, <laughs> so hard me. to find. Believe me, I think yeah. it's one of the reasons that NBC is bringing it back yeah. to give it another uh, another shot. It's on Wii TV or something like that. Yeah, or Logo. You can kind of dig the logo for it. Logo is just yeah. it's one after the other. You get hooked on it. <laughs> it's one of those. I, I know I did every episode, but I still have sometimes. I don't remember, uh, uh, so it's uh, it's amazing. My kids watch that too. Yeah, I always record a bunch of them on the uh, DVR and save them up and watch them all at once. It'll make you laugh. 